Our sermon passage comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. Hear the word of the Lord. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and the crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up and in order to test him, asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. But therefore, God has joined together. Let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter, and he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Pray with me. Merciful, gracious Father in heaven, we come before you and before your word ready to learn, ready to see that it is good, it is true, And it is beautiful. Challenge and encourage us by the power of your word. And that it would be a healing balm to our souls and to our lives. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, I I heard of a conversation recently between a, a, a gay marriage activist and a conservative pastor. And they were actually uh, working together on a, on a committee in a city talking about the issue of uh, gay marriage. And uh, as they were having a dialogue together, this uh, gay marriage ab- advocate asked the pastor this question. She said, I've always wanted to have a conversation with a conservative Christian pastor about this. And, and so I have a question for you. She says, are you as strongly opposed to divorce as you are to gay marriage? And he thought about this question. He said, you know, hypothetically, yeah, the church is. But in practice, maybe not. And, you know, we, often when we think about marriage today, we, are, we will lament the, the redefinition that happens, right? From people living together and, and just they don't get married anymore uh, to gay marriage being considered legitimate to people trying to marry animals. You know, it's across the board. We have wacky views of what marriage is, and it's easy for us as the church to look out at the world and look on these things and think that we have the moral high ground. But actually, when you look at Scripture, God's people have been redefining marriage since the fall in the garden. This, this isn't just an out there in the world problem. Uh, this is a, an inside and us problem. You know, from the very beginning, you know, the polygamy among the, amongst the, the, the patriarchs to to lust and, and rape with the greatest king that we have, David, to, uh, to the, the rampant divorce that was in the time of, of Moses, to the, the prostitution with Solomon. Redefinition of marriage is actually something that God's people have struggled with since the beginning. 
It's not just an out there problem, it's actually an inside problem. And I think this is what Jesus is exposing for us this morning. He's exposing the Pharisees' faulty view of marriage, and he's also exposing our faulty view, reminding us of this truth that we are as equally broken in our views. And in this, he actually points us to a, a greater and a deeper vision for marriage than we could ever even imagine, a vision that is meant to be a light to a broken world. And so as we think on this topic of marriage and divorce this morning, one thing I want to say at the very beginning is that I understand that everyone in this room has been affected by divorce. Whether you yourself have been divorced and remarried or uh, whether you have parents that were divorced or, or whether you have friends, family members where their marriages were divorced, we've all been touched by it. And this is what makes this such a hard topic to consider. It's, it's sensitive for us. Uh, and it, although it is important for us to, to never shy away from what the Bible teaches about even the hard topics, it's also important to remember that the sins that occur in and because of, of, of marriage and divorce are not unforgivable sins. God gives grace to, to sinners in Christ. And because of the riches of his grace, we can actually look honestly at God's word without feeling defensive. We can let it challenge us. We can let it cut us deep because that's when the healing of Christ is at its best. And also, you know, a lot of the work that, that I have this morning borrows from those who have gone before me and are much wiser on this topic. So with that said, uh, there's two things I, I want to focus on that Jesus is pointing out for us this morning. Uh, he's, he's first, the, the exception of divorce, and second, uh, the vision of marriage. Uh, so first, the, the exception of divorce. You know, in this first verse here, we see Jesus again has this crowd gathering around him. Uh, and it's, he says again, again, as was his custom, you get this beautiful image of Jesus loving to feed his sheep, right? And his sheep love to be fed by him, the great shepherd. And so there's this kind of beautiful picture of Jesus teaching uh, these people who are eager. And as he's in this mode of teaching, uh, the Pharisees come up to test him again. We've seen this before in the Gospel of Mark. They're trying to find fault in him like they have found fault before. Look at what they say here in verse 2. And the Pharisees came up and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And so they're testing Jesus. They're, and so they ask him about divorce. And you know, at first glance, it seems like a strange test, right? If they want to test Jesus. Why are they asking him about divorce, it seems out of the blue, but what they're really trying to get at is, is exposing him as being opposed to the law of Moses. All the tests that the Pharisees kind of put at Jesus are around the law and his view of the law because they're trying to, to, to find him at fault so they can uh, punish him. And knowing their trap, uh, Jesus responds here in, in, in verse three like this. He answered them, what did Moses command you? And it's, you know, the classic Jesus line, you know, he answers a question with a question, but, you know, you can notice some, some key differences between their questions, right? The Pharisees are asking what's permissible, what's allowable, and you see that actually in the response here in a moment in verse four, and Jesus asks what's commanded of you. And what we find in scripture, there's no command commanding people to get divorced in all of scripture. And it, it actually continues here in verse four, and they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send, to send her away. And Jesus said to them, 
Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. You know, it's because of the hardness of hearts that Moses made room for divorce. You know, and even when Jesus is using the word commandment here, he's using it in a different way than he is earlier. Because here it's, it's a noun. It's describing what is lawful, not what is desired of God's people. And, you know, in this conversation, what they're referring back to is they're referring back to Deuteronomy 24, where Moses uh, made divorce allowable for God's people. And, and Moses was saying it's allowable under certain instances. He says in, in Deuteronomy 24, when there is indecency, which in the context of that passage is clearly actually talking about adultery as the, the indecency. In other places, Jesus talks about this same thing in Matthew 19, which is kind of the parallel passage to this. He, he's clear that the indecency is adultery. Um, however, in, in the first century, there became two different schools of thought for interpreting Moses um, and, and what indecency meant. There was the Hillel group that was more liberal, and they interpreted indecency to mean anything that the man didn't like was a cause for divorce. And they mean anything. So it could be like a burnt, uh, a burnt dinner, or if they simply found another woman attractive, they were able to get divorced for any reason that they wanted. And they, they've effectually invented no-fault divorce. The other school of thought was from the Shammai group, which interpreted indecency as Moses actually intended, which was adultery. Uh, that, that was the only thing that made it allowable for divorce was, was adultery. And Jesus is saying here that he is siding with this particular branch of interpretation. So he's saying, listen, in extreme situations, it's allowable, but it's never commanded. It's an exception because it goes against the intent of marriage. And in this exception, Moses is actually protecting women. You know, when a woman got a certificate of divorce, they were actually able to remarry, which would have been really important for women, especially in this day, when their status and their ability uh, to provide for themselves revolved around being married. So even in this exception for something that is unintended, divorce was a way to protect the vulnerable. And although there are times when it should be permitted, it should be a very limited practice in the church. So the question then is, when is divorce acceptable? Well, biblically and historically, there, there are two reasons that we give for divorce, which are sexual infidelity and desertion. You know, in Matthew 19, which is, as I mentioned, this parallel passage, Jesus says that divorce is allowable in cases of adultery. This doesn't mean that any time there's adultery, you can get divorced. I think even in those cases, the goal is always to work through sin in fact, I've actually seen people work through even this kind of betrayal and their marriages are some of the strongest marriages I know because pain has this way of making us stronger. It has a way of strengthening us. And, but when there is adultery, when there's a breaking of a marriage and no repentance happens, it's, it's allowable. You know, the other instance where scripture makes allowances for desertion, you see Paul writing about this in 1 Corinthians 7. And the situation he's writing about is when someone's married to a non-Christian. He says, first, it's better for them to remain married. However, if the spouse leaves that person, walks away, you can, you can walk away as well. So in this, we find divorce is the exception, but not the rule. And in this, there's this warning that if you get divorced for frivolous reasons, um, Jesus tells his disciples here at the end that if you remarry and you don't get divorced for one of these reasons, you're actually committing adultery. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. 
And the reason for this is because you can't just dissolve a marriage whenever you want to. The reason why this is because it's not yours to dissolve. You don't get to decide what makes a marriage legitimate because marriage is an act of God. This is why he says here in verse 9, but therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And he's saying, listen, I've only given these instances permission to divorce, this exception for divorce, because there is sin in the world. Uh, and because the hearts of humankind are hard and they, and they love sin, sometimes divorce is necessary, but it's always the exception. And what this means is, is that in our marriages, just because things get hard, just because things get difficult, it doesn't mean that we run away from them. Right? In our homes, if we're having a disagreement, we should never use the, the D word. Right? You're not free to make threats that you are going to leave when things get hard. And God creates it this way and he wants it this way because he knows how sinful, how hard our, our hearts are. And, and you know what marriage does? It actually exposes just how sinful and selfish we were. You know, before me and Jen uh, got married, I used to think I was pretty awesome. I thought I was kind of pretty close to perfect. I'd hit that level and, you know, couldn't get any better. And then, I, you know, then we got married. And, uh, and maybe you can relate to this. It exposed just how sinful I was. I was still very selfish, uh, I was still very defensive, and, and it's still actually exposing these things in me, believe it or not. But marriage has a way of, of drawing our, our sin and our struggles out. And, and because of this, because of this reality of, of sin in the world, because of the reality of, of our desire to, to run away from people, when we give counsel to people, we never counsel people to get divorced except for extreme cases. And actually, this is the role of, of a church, of an, of, an, of an elder board, of a session, right, to speak into our lives and help us to know when, when, when the exception is allowable. I mean, this is what happens even when you join a church and membership. You're saying, hey, I trust you to speak into my life and to help me with these things. And this is also why we get married in front of people by the church, by a minister. Because it isn't just a vow between two people, but it's actually a vow between a community. And so the leaders of that community get to come alongside struggling marriages to help them to make allowances when necessary and to help them to hold fast otherwise because marriage is hard. And, and in the midst of this struggle, Jesus kind of sets up his vision for marriage by talking about this, this allowance for something that goes against marriage vows to set up what he wants to give us, which is a vision for what marriage ought to be. And he gives us a beautiful vision of marriage second here, a vision of marriage. And there's you know, two things that he's showing us about marriage. The first is this. Marriage is a picture. Look with me here, back at verse six. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. You know, what's interesting about this statement is Jesus roots marriage in the foundation of creation. And if you know the book of Genesis, you know that he's quoting from the passage that says this. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And in this, there's this innate truth that there is something in our gender and our maleness and our femaleness that teaches us about God. It's a picture of God because it images him. We are made in his image. And we're made in his image. And in this diversity of male and female, it actually becomes opportunity for unity. 
right? Men and women are, are different, but we, we, we're companions for each other. And in this, we become a, a beautiful vision of the triune God. However, in a broken world, our differences actually are the thing that become a problem for us, aren't they? In fact, this is almost exclusively where you find problems in marriages is our differences. We are opposites. We fight for each other's roles, but in the true vision of marriage, our differences are actually what makes marriage beautiful. It actually images God. It's a picture of the triune God had male and female complementing each other. Picture of the, the triune God had working in, in perfect harmony. And so that's one aspect of the, of the picture and the idea of harmony. And we see that, that even uh, more pronounced here in verses seven and eight. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And this profound truth and mystery that in marriage, two lives uh, become united in a way that is so pr- profound that it is as if they are one body. You know, in a marriage ceremony, you have the, the, the groom standing right here. You have the, the bride walking down the aisle. You know, they walk into the room as two distinct people. And yet they walk out hand in hand as one. It's actually in that pronouncement of, of, of husband and wife that they are made one even in that moment. They're made one. Different parts of a body sharing everything. Uh, you know, even in your own body, you know this. You don't have, if, if I get cut in my wrist, or if I get cut in my leg, I don't have two different types of, of, of blood. Your body shares the same blood, it shares the same oxygen, its organs work together. And marriage is a picture of this. All of life is shared. You know, just the other day, Jen borrowed my truck and she found some money in the truck. I didn't know it was there. And she said, hey, your money's my money. And she goes and buys a coffee, which is... <laughs> Which is fine. I didn't have any plans for it. It was it's fine. But if marriage is like that, it's actually good that she assumed, hey, this cash is my cash. What else, you know, this is good. All of life is shared. Your, your thoughts, your future, your plans, your money, your home, your schedule, your time. That's one of the, the biggest mistakes young married people make is it's learning. What does that mean, right? And, you know, you take a lifetime learning. What does it mean to be one Everything is shared. You, you no longer have a life apart from yourself. Everything that is yours and all that is yours is mine is what you say in, in, a, in a marriage. And if that sounds familiar, it's because marriage pictures the triune God. And then as it pictures the triune God, it also pictures the gospel for us. Right? Paul takes this idea and, and says, listen, when you become a Christian, you become part of the bride of Christ. We become so united to Jesus that he shares everything that is his with us. And we share everything that is ours with him. Right? For Jesus, he shares his, his righteousness, his life, his riches, his, his inheritance. He shares all of that with us. It is ours because we are one in him. And what does Jesus get in return? Well, this is the great exchange, right? He gets our rags, our filthiness, our unrighteousness, our sin. And he takes that on himself. And in this, he makes us beautiful. And you know, marriage does that. When people get married, they actually make each other more beautiful. As, as we, our love makes each other beautiful and the love of Christ makes us beautiful. We are one with Christ in our marriage to him. This is even why church membership is so important because it unites us in a unique way with the bride of Christ, his church. It's, it's, a, it's a picture of the fact that we are married to Jesus. He is our faithful husband and he never walks away from us. And that foreverness 
aspect of marriage leads us to this the second uh, aspect of the vision for marriage here, and it's that marriage is not just a picture, it's a covenant. Look with me back at verse 7. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. This idea of, of hold fast describes what the Bible calls a covenant relationship. And at its foundation, marriage is a covenant relationship. It's not primarily a contract. It's not primarily an expression of romantic love. It's not primarily a place for having children. It is fundamentally a covenant. And in a covenant, it's a promise and a vow that says, I will never leave you. Come what may, I will never leave you. I will always be there. And this is what healthy marriages communicate daily, over and over again, moment by moment, both verbally and non-verbally, saying, I will never leave you. And of course, this echoes and points us to the, the perfect God who covenants with us, his people. Though we constantly fail, though, you know, in, in the context here, we are the adulterous woman in our idolatry. In fact, the Bible calls us this uh, at times. God's covenant with us, with us is stronger than our sin. His steadfast love is forever. Jesus will never forsake his bride, no matter what. Even though we often pine for other gods, we pine for other husbands, divorce is not an option for him. And this is the truth that actually sets us free to grow and live inside our relationship with God. This is the foundation for our marriages as well, that idea that no matter what, I will hold fast. You know, in our world, marriage is often a means merely of, of self-fulfillment, right? Whatever you desire, no matter how perverse, you can have. And when your desire changes, because your desires always change, fine, just do whatever you want. Wherever your desires take you, your desires are the most true thing about you. But in the gospel, marriage is about giving of self, self-denial, right? No greater love is there than this than laying down your life for another. This is what Jesus does and shows for this. And in this, it's the, the, the most true thing about you is the one who loves you. And so what is this idea of marriage and divorce? What does this mean for us today? Yeah, we get the ideal, but the world is messy. We live in the messy. So what does this mean for us today? And I, I want to address both the single, uh, three things, so more than both, single, divorced, and, and the married among us. For one, for the singles among us. Uh, my first thing I would say to you is that you may not always be single. And a proper view of marriage and what marriage is and what marriage isn't is essential when you're seeking a spouse. And so thinking on the topic of marriage is a good thing for you to think about before you even start dating. Secondly, you know, in, in the Matthew 19 passage where Jesus talks about this, he actually follows up this section with a, with a, a couple verses on the topic of singleness. And uh, one of the things he's hinting at in that passage is that you, you don't have to be married to be a complete person. Jesus wasn't married. The apostle Paul wasn't married. They were both single men. And, you know, if you are single and you long to be married, this is a godly longing. Something you should pray for. Have others pray for you in. But as we know in life, we don't always get everything we desire. And to you, God has given you a family in the church. Whether you get married tomorrow or 10 years from now, he has given you uh, his, his bride to be a part of 
today. In a real way, he has married you. And, and he calls you to lean into the body that is the church, to use your singleness to model that covenant marriage as you give yourself to the work of the kingdom. And in a sense, as you become a member of a church, you become married to this body, serving the bride of Christ as, as, as Christ has served it. And, uh, and when you're single, you're in a unique place to serve. So we're called to do these things. To those who in this room who have been divorced, or to those who counsel divorced people. You know, some of what uh, Jesus says are a bit unsettling when it comes to divorce. Maybe there's relationships that you need to face or, or just decisions that you've made in the past that you need to repent of or rethink. Remember, divorce is not an unpardonable sin. Neither is remarriage. And we are here as a body to help walk through this pain together. So whatever marriage you have now, even if it started under the pretense of sin can be redeemed to glorify God. And this is what Jesus loves to do, right? This is why we confess our sins every week because Jesus came to save sinners. If you're a sinner, you're in a great spot. Jesus came for you. He, he loves you. He loves to heal his sinners. You know, one of the greatest stories in the Gospels is Jesus' encounter with a woman at the well in John chapter 4. You know, there's this woman. She'd been married five times, was currently living with a man who was not her husband. What does Jesus offer her? Living waters. Jesus knew her life. He knew her sin. Yet he still did not withhold his love. And he does not withhold his love from you either. And to those of us in this room who are married... There's a call for us to trust that God's commands for you are not to make your life miserable, but to make your life good. He wants good for you, and all his commands are a gift. And that means that his, this commandment to not run away from marriage, even when it's difficult, is love. And it's his love for us that we would stay. In this, we don't stick our head in the sand and pretend that marriage is easy, it doesn't mean that we stick our heads in the sand and pretend that we're, we're perfect when there's real problems, but it means that we are free to get help, that we don't have to be alone in our problems. And if your marriage is a place of struggle and misery, Jesus holds out his healing waters to you as well. He is the only one that can come in and bring healing. And in this, there's a call to draw us out, to, to talk to his bride, to talk to others, to see counselors, to talk to your pastor, to build strong marriages that are founded in Christ. And it's, it is the love of Christ that will heal us and our broken views of marriage. And as our broken views of marriage are healed and restored inside the church, well, then we have an ability to speak prophetically to the brokenness outside of the church. Right? You need to remove the log in your own eye before you can remove the speck in someone else's. And so often the church, we're so quick to judge. And, and our judgments are often true of the world, but we lost our reputation because of how messy we are inside. And so this is a call for us to do the deep work of, hey, how have we redefined marriage and maybe sanctified okay things that are not okay? How do we do that hard work of looking inside? of seeing where we have fallen, where we have failed, doing that work of, of experiencing the healing nature of Christ, to experience that humility so we can offer living waters to the outside world. And if you are broken in this this morning, Jesus came to bring you these living waters. 
May we be a people who trust Jesus, who trust the word of God more than we trust ourselves and our desires that ebb and flow from day to day. May we be a people who walk in grace as we walk through the messiness and difficulties of, of, of marriage. And, and may our marriages and our church be a light to a world who desperately needs this vision of marriage, a vision that puts those around us before ourselves. Pray with me. Merciful, gracious Father in heaven, we give you thanks that you don't call us into difficult things and then leave us, but that you are here, that you never leave nor forsake your children. I pray that you would be with us this morning, that you would strengthen our marriages, that our marriage, marriages in, this, in their families in this, in this church would be a light to a broken world. Do this work in us by the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Well, friends, I invite you to stand as we respond to the preaching of God's word saying, I believe. Church, and what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into the grave. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Another way we respond to God's word is through the giving of our tithes and offerings, knowing that everything that we have comes from our good Father above. To give here at St. Andrews, there's a tithe box there in the back of the room. You can also give online. Let us uh, now turn to our God for a time of prayer. Merciful Father, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we remember that our Savior taught us to pray for each other. We remember how on the cross Christ prayed for the salvation even of those who persecuted him. It's following his example that we would pray. Father of all glory, whose name is blessed on every shore. We pray for the church around the world, for the ancient churches of Europe and the Orient, for the young vibrant churches of Africa and East Asia, for churches under the shadow of persecution, for the faint, weary, and dismal churches where the fervor of love has cooled. Grant to all the joy and the power of the gospel. Father of all truth and wisdom, in every generation you have raised up people to lead your church. We pray for those who serve your church today. This morning we lift up the church in Boise Presbyterian Church in Boise, Idaho. Lift up Brian and his family to you. Give them joy in their work, success in their preaching of the gospel. Grant them success as they continue to grow their roots there as a young church. And raise up godly elders and deacons to serve the people well. 
Father of lights, from whom every good and perfect gift comes, we pray for all kinds of people, for farmers and factory workers, for artists and artisans, for secretaries and nurses, for doctors and lawyers, for teachers and students and mothers and fathers and husbands and wives and sisters and brothers. Grant that we might receive from you the strength to do our work and the grace that it might be useful to others. Father, we give thanks for the church that you're building here at St. Andrews. This morning we lift up the Hader family. Be with Ben and Anna. Strengthen their marriage. Give them strength and wisdom as they raise their children up in the Lord. Be with them with their work inside and outside the home. Provide for them and encourage them. Strengthen them that they may not grow weary in doing good, but that they might be zealous for your kingdom. Father of all mercy, be with all those this morning who are weighed down. Grant to those who despair the hope of the gospel. Grant to those who are bored a sense of your glory. All of this we commit to you. And we now pray as Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.